0: If you have your Bibles, why not you please turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be taking a break from um, Timothy for a little bit until everyone's returned. And last week was the culmination of our three-part Christmas series. How many of you were here last week for Christmas? can't believe it's already gone. <laughs> Some of us are still recovering. But um, this morning, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to be reading uh, from verse 21 Matthew chapter 18 verse 21 and I'm reading from the English Standard Version then Peter came up and said to him him being Jesus Lord how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times Jesus said to him I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Some of you have seventy-seven. Therefore, Jesus tells a parable to explain this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him, And said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart Now you might be saying, "What a funny you're wondering, what a funny topic to start a New Year's Day sermon or series, or even the year with." And uh, it was not one that I chose. Um, sometimes, when I ask God what I should preach on, I don't have a very clear answer. And often I have the luxury of working through a book. So that's nice. You know what your next text is and you kind of hold God ransom to your exposition. <laughs> but this is a bit different. I was asking the Lord uh, last week, Lord, what do, you want it, what do you want preached? And he said, clearly to me, I want you to preach on the parable of the unforgiving servant. And so I'm doing this out of obedience. That's the first thing. The second is that... Um, this is not something that I find very comfortable to preach on. I personally find it, and I think it is for you, the hardest thing in the world. It is the greatest test, I would say, for the believer, this thing of total forgiveness. And I want to say to you this morning, that is the reason why Jesus had a Judas. People you asked yourself the question, why did God ever design a Judas to be in Jesus' life? Now Judas, we villainize. We tend to look at Judas as basically demon possessed and the Antichrist. That's kind of how we, and when we read that story about how he hung himself and his his entrails burst open, we go, yeah, that's right. Justice. You want to crucify the Son of God? Yeah. But actually, Judas was one of Jesus' close friends. And when Jesus surveyed the men, Whom which God told him to choose. The father told him to choose Judas. That's profound. The father commanded the son Jesus. To embrace Judas. As one of his closest disciples. Remember Jesus said he did nothing that he didn't see his father doing. And his father. Told him to embrace Judas. And the pinnacle the pinnacle everything hangs on the phrase of jesus on the cross when he says father forgive them for they know not what they do all of christ's work would have been counted null and void if jesus did not pass the test of forgiving those who had unjustly crucified him i cannot overemphasize it this morning it was the pinnacle challenge of Jesus to, at that Last Supper, offer Judas the bread, not exposing him to anybody else, giving him opportunity time and time again to come back, to save face, to come back into the fold, to not give in to the temptation that Satan had been giving him, um, had, had, been, had been tempting him with. He gave Judas every opportunity for forgiveness. And the greatest test of the Son of God is the greatest test that will face you and I. And some of us this morning are struggling with this very thing. And when I look at the wisdom of God and how he calls us to move forward in him, I want to say, until we have totally forgiven, God's work is hindered in our lives. And I say that soberly. I say that humbly, because like you, this is something that I wrestle with. But I've got to be honest with you this morning. God hates unforgiveness. And he says clearly in his word that the thing that grieves his Holy Spirit the most, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 to 32, is a spirit of bitterness. And for us this morning, we will not inherit what God has for us in 2017 if we do not dig deeply into our hearts this morning and make sure that we have settled any unforgiveness that exists. And if you're in a good place this morning, praise God, but I want to say to you, your testing's coming. (laughs) And so don't sit back and go, ah, yes, I have got no malice towards anybody. I'm going to push that a bit this morning, and I want you to give me grace. I'm going to push the envelope a bit, because unforgiveness is one of the things we can kid ourselves most about, as we can push it deep into our hearts. And sometimes unforgiveness manifests itself in ways that we don't know initially. Some of us struggle with very deep anxiety. Some of us struggle to have a clear conscience before God. Some of us are ill. We can't sleep at night because we are so burdened with this struggle to forgive. And so this morning, I'm hoping to be helpful, even if it's just that we can stop and pause and ask, can we recognize any unforgiveness in us? And secondly, to be helpful to go, well, how do we deal with it? Because I guarantee you, it will be something that you will have to do 70 times 7. I love Peter. He's, for me, one of the favorite disciples because he's, got, he's so colorful. He comes to Jesus, and Jesus has just spoken about in the previous section of Matthew chapter 18 about what to do when your brother sins against you. And I encourage you to do that. We have to deal with any issues of relationship that we have with other people. We have to make peace. But Peter goes, well, if my brother sins against me, how often should I forgive him? And he tries to put on a good face at Jesus. He goes shall i forgive him not once not twice, but seven times and peter feels so good about himself hey i think seven times is pretty good not so someone comes to you and does something oh i forgive you does it again i forgive you does it again i forgive you (laughs) peter goes jesus Seven times and he's doing it because he's trying to prove a point and say I can be really magnanimous I can be really you know Should I give him seven times trying to earn some credits with Jesus because the established teaching of the day and I would say it's not too far off from today is that the rabbis taught you only had to forgive three times someone did it to you on a fourth time well You can hand them over to the fire of hell and so Peter saying seven, he's actually going against the established norm. I would say, the popular teachers of the day will say you need to forgive, but they don't go to say how often. And I would say that their forgiveness that they talk about would most likely be once off. And so this morning, Jesus answers Peter roundly. He says, Peter, I say to you, I say on my authority. I do not say seven times. I say 70 times seven. (laughs) What? Peter going, I can't win with this guy. And I'm telling you, this is the reason why Jesus was able to attract tax collectors and sinners. I want you to know this morning, I struggle with this because in my own mind, the kind of people Jesus attracted to himself were those that needed forgiveness. And I want to say it's those who knew they'd made a mess of their lives. There were those that had made bad decisions and those that had huge regrets. They felt so accepted by Jesus. In the presence of the Son of God, what characterized His ministry was a radical forgiveness offered to those who needed it. And this was the thing that offended the religious. It was those who thought they had it so neat and square with God that could not believe that Jesus could accept not only just sinners and tax collectors into his audience, but into his own home. And I want to say even closer than that, Matthew, Levi, was a tax collector himself. And he made a tax collector his disciple. For those around him, They could not believe the extent that Jesus could be so forgiving. And don't kid yourself this morning and say, well, it's because the Father was forgiving. No, no, Jesus said, ah, on his authority, forgive you, go and sin. He was able on his own authority to issue what the Father had given him, which was to release people from the weights and consequence of their sin. And so Jesus says, I'm going to help you, Peter, understand why I'm like this, first of all. And secondly, I'm going to help you, Peter, as to how you need to show the same thing that I'm going to teach you in this moment. And so Jesus tells a story. And he says, if you, Peter, if you, Ridges, want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like, it's this. He says in verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Whoa! Let's just stop for a moment. If you want to catch a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus is saying, it is compared to what I'm about to tell you. It is compared to this posture of forgiveness. If you want to look into the heart of God, Peter, if you want to look into what God is like to the world, if you want to look and open up heaven, it is this posture of forgiveness. And Jesus, when asked about how we are to pray to the Father, was the Lord's prayer. And when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what is the very next section? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we also forgive forgive us our debtors. we also forgive our debtors and the only part jesus unpacks in this prayer is the part of that line in matthew chapter 6 verse 14 15 he says this section i want you to focus on i want you to forgive those who sin against you and i want you to pray for those who despitefully use you this posture our forgiveness is a picture of heaven. And even in our communication with the Father, He wants forgiveness to be central to our posture towards not only Him, but to others. And so God takes it seriously. Guys, this morning, I want to say the last lines of this section that we've read it is serious he says when we are unforgiving towards our neighbor it is directly the opposite of what he wants us to be a reflection of to the world it is opposite to the posture of god and so he tells a parable and really this parable is a picture of the gospel and i want to say this morning this is something we never grow out of and you might have heard the gospel for the last three weeks well, I want to stir you up by way of reminder because forgiveness is really looking into the gospel through another lens. And so, first and foremost, is we see well, let me ask you the question who initiates the settling of the accounts in the story? Were you reading were you listening carefully? You're welcome to look at the Bible. Who is the one who decides to initiate the settling of the accounts? The who? The king. Interesting. The one who did not have any need to make things right is the one who decided to initiate a settling of accounts. Friends, that is the picture of the gospel. You know what the gospel means? It is good news. You know what good news means? Is that the king of heaven decided of his own volition to step down through his son Jesus, and settle accounts. That's the gospel. And the start of understanding the gospel is this, and the start of understanding mercy is that God did not have to do this at all. There was no reason why God the Father had to ever decide to love us. There was no feeling that was produced in him through our sinfulness that propelled him to initiate the settling of accounts. Do you know what it was? He simply decided, he decided that he was going to take the initiative to settle the accounts. The next step is, when he started doing the tallying, oh, problem, because the books didn't balance. And he found that this servant that was brought before him in his presence, this summoning, was that he not only owed a little bit, He owed 10,000 talents, which I did some research and it's a real ballpark figure. But if you had to look at a talent which was a year's wage, and you had to look at what a year's wage would be for someone who earns about 17,000 Rand a month, which could possibly be a skilled worker's wage, you get 204 million Rand. Okay? 204 million. This guy's in deep trouble. Do you know what the door is that opens to us receiving the gospel? It's understanding that when we stand before God, the books don't balance. And it's not just by one. It's not just by a bad day or a mistake. It's by 204 million rand. <laughs> There's nobody in this room that can repay that. And I want to say this morning is you might be saying this morning, oh, well, really, I don't really get that. What do I really owe God? Well, God goes as far as to say this. It's not just the lie we told or the money we possibly stole when we were three years old from our mom. It is this. It is having the shirts on our backs being His. The money that we earn being His. The very body that we live in being His. Everything we have in creation is His. Is that you and I belong to him. We were made from creation. And I want to say this morning, everything that we own, it's not ours. Everything that we have, it's not ours. Everything that has been given to us to enjoy and to delight in is God's. And what we do and what makes him so angry and wrathful, according to Romans 1, is this. Is that we use what is his against him. Do you get that this morning? It's not just that we've committed a few faux pas, (laughs) or that actually we made a few oopses. No, no, no. The weight of the debt is this, is literally we have taken what is his and used it against him. Well, how? We've done it like this. We have taken a perfect God, creating a perfect creation, and turned it into imperfection in the way that we are living towards him, thinking towards him acting towards Him. And so God is just. He's right in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 23. The wrath of God is poured out on mankind. And the wrath is this, is that although we can understand that everything we have in creation is not our own, that actually, like I was speaking to a family member recently, when, and who's a scientist, you can investigate and go to the very depths of those investigations, and you have to come to the conclusion that there is something behind all of this. It's not by our will that we were created, that something initiated the glory of creation. Even the pagan person can understand that. Even the person who is doubtful about God can look into creation and see what he has made and go, wow, there is something behind. Even though we know that as human beings... We reject worshiping the one who's made it. In actual fact, what we do is we suppress that knowledge and we use what is God's to live our own lives in the way that we please. And At the end of the day, every second of every hour, the books are being tallied and the debt is getting greater. And really, the gospel is this. This is the scandal of the gospel. Is that this guy fell on his knees, and what did he do? The Greek there says he had nothing to pay. He could not pay it. And what he did was he had to cast himself. He implored the king and said, Please have mercy on me. And this is the amazing part of the good news the gospel is that the father looks on the world, the king looks upon the servants and has pity and that word pity is compassion it does something to the heart of god and what he does is he cancels the debt and by canceling the debt he there's two words used he not only forgives which is a cancelling a legal voluntary decision to let somebody go from what is justly their rightful punishment but it says he releases him and you know what this king does? He doesn't cast the servant out of his service. Is he actually lets the servants keep his position. He actually gives dignity to the servant. He doesn't belittle the servant to anybody else around him. Is what he does is he not only cancels the debt, he accepts the servant in his household. And that is the gospel. <laughs> is that it is a level playing field. And there are many of you here I know have walked with Jesus for a long period of time. I want to ask you the question this morning. How, when last have you considered the debt that was canceled on your behalf? Not the person that you're praying for to be saved. Not the colleague that you can see the sinning at work. Not the family member that rubs you up the wrong way. I want to ask you this morning, when last have you sat and considered the extent of God's forgiveness to you? To you. You see, what happens is as we are Christians, and I do this, I'm the master of the self-righteousness, is we begin to think, man, we're really doing quite well. We really begin to think, man, we go to church on a Sunday. Man, we're a pretty good parent. We serve. We help our spouse. We tithe to the church. We give of ourselves in a way that is actually quite noble. But what happens is this. is you and I begin to start calculating the books, and in our minds, we start to think, yeah, God, you calculated and canceled the debt, but man, I'm putting in a lot now. My deposit's growing, and you better take notice of what I'm giving. I want to say to you this morning, church, the this, this scandal of the gospel is this. Is that you are forgiven. Not just 100 denarii, like this guy was owed, but 10,000 talents. And the start of being able to forgive is coming to this place of realizing how much you've been forgiven. And the problem was this. The way it plays out when we forget is we become stingy to those around us when they require it. What keeps our hearts full of the riches of grace is keeping our heart rejoicing in the grace received. And what stops us from becoming judgmental, bigotous, self-righteous, there's an English word called smug, is when we stay in the grace of God given. And friends, we never outgrow that grace. It is scandalous. We deserve nothing. Nothing. You know what we deserve? Hell. That's what we deserve. And this is why it angers God. Because What this servant did was as he left the presence of the king, he forgot, he forgot, he forgot the moment when the person standing before him had wronged him, when there was a debt to be paid, this man forgot what God had done to him, and the mercy that he had received dried up in the second of forgetfulness, and when it was required to be given, oh man, He choked the servant violently, threw him into prison, and said, you're not getting out until the debt is paid. So, Jesus said, believers, the way God has dealt with us is how we are called to deal with others. And so, how do we totally forgive? Well, How do we move ourselves from being in this place of receiving grace and giving it? Well, the first is we have to follow God's example. Is when somebody does something against you, you have to initiate the settling of that account, not the other person. You see, what happens is really when somebody hurts us, is the second that happens is they're on trial in our hearts. And when somebody hurts us, there is a debt that is owed. And it comes out a bit in the way that we talk about it, hey? You owe me an apology. Not so? That's what we say. I'm going to make that person pay. Yeah? That's what happens is, when we feel wronged or hurt, what happens is, we feel that that person is indebted to us. And the only way that forgiveness happens is, is you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision to settle that account in your heart. And that means it's not based on that person's response Whether they're coming to you, begging or imploring you, saying, Please forgive me, whether they don't even know what they've done, that doesn't matter. What is initiated in your heart is this is a decision to settle the account. It's not a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a decision. Secondly, is total forgiveness is choosing either to show mercy or punishment. And this is the way you have to see totally forgiving a person is, they are on trial in your heart, and the decision that you have to make is whether or not you're going to mete out punishment, or whether or not you're going to mete out mercy. And I want to unpack what punishment looks like. <laughs> punishment is the cold shoulder. They're in the docks. They're in prison. huh? Punishment is we give them the silent treatment. Punishment is, we strike back with our tongues. The way they hurt, man, we push back with the same sentence. We do an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. is you want to hurt me? I'll retaliate and hurt you. Punishment is, we make sure they feel guilty in our, our presence. We want them to know that, man, they owe us something. They've wronged us. Punishment is... We bring up what they've done again and again. We make sure the time in jail just goes on and on. And they can never, ever, ever feel released from that thing that they have done. And you know what else punishment is? Is we want the world to know that they are guilty. Punishment is taking their reputation and telling everybody what they've done against us. We want them exposed. We want their reputation dragged through the mud. You know what? It, you know what a punishment really is: is we want them to beg. We want that moment that the king had when they come into our into our presence, and when they came, when you enter the presence, and they gro, they're groveling, they're pleading, saying, "Please release me." We want that feeling where they are begging, and at that point, we'll consider it. We want them to pay the debt in full. Does that ring true for some of us this morning? And I want to say it's no coincidence in Matthew chapter 19 that Jesus talks about divorce. It is for me one of the hardest things, particularly in marriage, apart from marital infidelity, apart from abusiveness. You know what kills a marriage? It's when one spouse can't forgive the other. It's when the cold shoulder goes on for not one week, two weeks, but years. It's in the argument when the person comes to you in humility and you bring up what they did against you 15 years ago. You can't forgive. I want to say it trashes trust and it trashes a marriage. And the misery, and some of us who have experienced the pain of divorce can testify to this. It wrecks a marriage because one side cannot reconcile with the other. One refuses to release the other from punishment. That's what it is. It is an irreconcilable point where you say, you have hurt me so much, I will never forgive you. And that other person might come and say, please, I want to patch it up. You're going, over my dead body. I want to say this morning, it's not just marriage. Some of us have sons and daughters we have not spoken to for years. Some of us have relationships where we have not spoken to a friend or a loved one for years because, in the moment when we are required to show mercy, we are still dishing out punishment. Ah. Jesus says, What you have experienced in the gospel from me. I want you to show to that other person. And you know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is not spoken. Forgiveness is shown. I want to say this morning, it doesn't help the person to go up to them and say, I forgive you. I want to say, half the time, my gracious wife, when I go up to Marina and go, you know what Marina, I forgive you. She goes, for what? (laughs) It doesn't help the situation. She goes, what? You got angry with me about that? What did Jesus say? You forgive in your heart at the end. Something you do in secret. You do before the Lord. And you know what the wonderful thing about forgiveness is? Just like the Father never rubs it in your face ever again. I'm sorry to say it's unpopular in the moment, but God forgives and forgets. You might say, that's impossible. I will never forget what that person has done. I want to say, really? Really? Do you know what it means to forget? It's the second Satan throws it up, and again, that person's on trial. Is for Choosing to forget is a repeated point of going, I'm not considering that. It's not on the table. That card's not in my hand. I'm not playing that. I'm never, ever, ever going to go back to that. I'm never, this is what it is, I'm never going to weigh that person by what they did ever again. Not only is that the place where we have to start in giving forgiveness, is saying we choose to forget, but not only that is we choose to forgive in a way that the person no longer feels guilty in our presence. This is the tough part. You know what that means? is when they are in the room, you can go up to them and say, how are you doing? It's good to see you. You're not skulking around. When they come into the kitchen, you're in the lounge. <laughs> when, when your boss walks in, you're suddenly on your computer. You cannot stand to be in their presence. You know what forgiveness is? No matter if that person hates your guts, forgiveness shown is being able to go into their presence and say, how are you doing today? They might be like, oh, they give you the cold shot. It doesn't matter. The posture is one of openness. And what you do, and this is f- something that I've so appreciated. I'm sorry, I'm going to talk about Marina because this is her strong point. I married a gracious wife. And you know what the thing for me is that's so special? Is I said to her, my love, I'm so sorry. I really missed it. She goes, don't worry about it. Don't stress. In actual fact, she'll turn to her own self and say, I do it to And what she does straight after that is she loves me. There's no like, "Eh, yeah, it's fine, you're forgiven, but heck, don't come into my presence. No, no, no. Her posture towards me is one of openness. And I want to say this morning, some of us might have said, well, I've forgiven that person, but I'm not forgetting. What you're really saying is that person's not welcome in my life ever again. Really? Really? the way God treats us? Does He make us feel belittled when we ask Him for forgiveness? Does He make us grovel? Does He make us in His presence say, well, you're on probation? Does He make His acceptance of us conditional? You know what the scandal of the gospel is this? He says, I will remember your sin no more. Not only that is, I will treat you not according to your transgressions, even if your posture towards me is one of I am so angry with you, God. His posture is this. My door is open to you. You can come. And so in summation, is we must decide. We must initiate it in our hearts. We must decide between whether or not we're going to meet our punishment or mercy, and in that moment, what rescues us is remembering what mercy we've received. Thirdly is we have to not tell someone they're forgiven. We have to show them. And that means in our presence, we don't make them feel nervous, we don't make them feel guilty, we don't make them feel on trial. We release them. And you might be saying, well, what if I don't feel any of this? You do it in cold blood. You might not feel like doing this. I guarantee you, for a long time, you won't feel like doing this. Until you do the last point, is that you pray for them like you'd pray for yourself. That was Jesus' pinnacle moment, is he had to get to a place where he prayed that they would be released from punishment. Some of us come before God, I've done this, God, please deal with him. I'll keep quiet about it, but you deal with them. You expose them. God's saying, no, 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 I want you to pray the prayer that Jesus did, is I want you to ask me to forgive them. And when you pray for them in a way that you'd pray for your best friend or the way that you in their situation would pray for yourself, the golden rule, do unto others that you have them do unto you, something breaks in us. And the feeling of warmth, graciousness, and release follows the decision we've made. Does that make sense? And the last question I want to answer is this. Is You might be saying, well, what if their position or their behavior doesn't change towards me? What if they are stealing from me for drugs? What happens if they are slandering me? No, no, not slander. What happens if they are abusing me physically? What happens if, am I just meant to be a punching bag as a Christian? Am I just meant to accept all the blows and uh, just forgive and just forgive? Well, remember what Jesus said before this very passage. He said, when a brother sins against you, you have to deal with it. You have to go to that person and say, this is what you've done on your own. You don't tell it to anybody. Secondly, that doesn't work, you bring another person with you. Thirdly, it doesn't work. You bring it to the church if he's a believer. There are ways and practical ways that you have to deal with sin done against you. If there's someone is stealing from you, lock the door. <laughs> if someone is abusing you, you call one of the elders right now and you say, "My husband, my wife is abusing me." I doesn't mean who it is. You take action. We deal with the sin, but ah, when the sin is being dealt with, you've got to deal with the heart does not matter what the injury is against you, as the posture is of one of forgiveness. And so as you're working this thing out, God is never going to permit you to get bitter. God is never going to let you hold it against the person till the day you die. It's actual fact, moment by moment. God is calling you to forgive. How many times will God forgive you? Seventy times seven. How many times should you forgive yourself? How many times should you should you forgive yourself? So what happens is when you are struggling to actually get over the the thing you did that you so regret, how many times do you need to forgive yourself? How many times must you forgive the person that's done something against you? You receive it 70 times 7. You give it to yourself 70 times 7. You give it to the other person 70 times 7. And you know what will happen? The very thing that was least expected will be God will work what you thought was terrible for good, and he will begin to pour out blessing on your life that you cannot count. Jesus says, the measure to which you forgive, you will be forgiven. The measure we display the posture of God our forgiveness towards the world is the measure he will pour out on us. Let's pray. I've gone on a bit longer this morning, but this is such an important topic. Some of us have to forgive God here this morning. Because if you believe that there is a sovereign God... Who's in control of everything. When something painful happens to you, if you really dig deep, our question is, God, why did you let that happen? So for some of us this morning, it's coming to a place of letting God be God and saying, Lord, I release you. You're off the hook. Some of us have family members and friends that we have to make right with when we leave this place, colleagues. This is practical. Come into the presence of the Lord, sort it out start today so Lord Jesus as we sang this is amazing grace this is an ending love Lord, we pray that this year our first step would be Lord we want to set free those that owe us debt and Lord we want to be set free from the prison that we put ourselves in before you by holding on to that bitterness so lead us on Lord we pray Show us these things in ever-increasing measure. Amen. Amen.